12 faces. 12 facets. 12 sided object. They're very beautiful. I think we should discuss it. Yeah, that was exactly what I had in mind. Right. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Mr. Dodecahedron, a podcast devoted to a shape the Dodecahedron. The shape is absolutely fascinating. It's a three-dimensional shape made with 12 pentagons arranged in a ball. 12 pentagons. Everybody knows what a pentagon is? Yeah, absolutely. I'm your host, Mr. Dodecahedron, and today we're talking to archaeologists about the mystery of the Roman Dodecahedron. such a perfect shape, perfect shape, 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 shape. Hello and welcome to episode one, the first of 12 episodes, which all together will make a dodecasode. And because it's the first episode of the dodecasode, we're going to start with a quick tour de dodecahedra for the uninitiated, the newbies, the kooks. Listen, we've all been there, and that's okay. I'm here to help. Okay, so you type dodecahedron into Google, all 12 letters, and you do an image search. You will see. It's a genre of shape, a cornucopia of shape. First, you see the regular ones. You know, your standard, everyday, household dodecahedron. It's the one that's on the thumbnail of this podcast. Twelve pentagons, arranged in a ball. And so you pass those. Keep scrolling. You might see a stellated dodecahedron. Maybe a truncated dodecahedron. Get lucky, you might see a snub dodecahedron. Keep going, you'll start seeing plants, animals, molecules the shape of dodecahedra. They're in literature, black holes and background radiation, architecture, jewelry, yoga, yoga pants, a lot of yoga pants and a lot of tattoos. And so you're scrolling the interwebs, the land of dodecahedra, the dodecaverse. You come across a particular brand of dodecahedron that's been getting a lot of press lately. People can't seem to get enough of these. They've set the internet ablaze. They're called Roman dodecahedra. They're old, they're bronze, and they're the topic of today's show. Behold, the Roman dodecahedron. They're a complete mystery, and they're showing up all over the internet on hundreds of sites, all trying to figure out their mysterious origin and magical powers. This is the most difficult question for a Roman archaeologist to answer. This is Rudiger Schwartz. A German archaeologist working for the Saalburg Museum. The dodecahedron is one of the most amazing items we have in our collections. How big are they? They vary a bit between 4 and 10 centimeters. So somewhere between a golf ball and a tennis ball. Do you know what they were used for? 
I don't know any serious Roman archaeologist who has a proper explanation for their purpose. Things that we don't understand are always going to intrigue us. This is Judy Stevenson. And I am the museum team leader for Herefordshire Museum Service. Can you describe what a Roman dodecahedron looks like? If you imagine a hollow ball with 12 sides to it, each of those sides is a pentagon shape. Those pentagons have each got a hole in, and the holes are different sizes. And the other thing is, at the vertices where the edge joins, each has a knob. Knobs are what they call the little round balls attached to the vertices. The knobs, along with the holes, are what differentiates a Roman dodecahedron from a regular dodecahedron. And I think the other thing that's interesting is that they are all cast out of bronze. What's so fascinating about the Roman dodecahedra is that they've been found all across northwestern Europe. As if an anonymous group of nomadic blacksmiths went door to door, dawn till dusk, diligently distributing dodecahedra. They have been found in England, Great Britain, uh, France, Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany, of course, Switzerland. Austria, Hungary, Luxembourg. How many have been found? I don't know what number we're up to now. I think it's over 120, I think. It might be 130. It's probably going up all the time. They're found in all sorts of sites. That's why people are so confused. We just don't have that evidence that we need to properly understand them. This is Dr. Francis McIntosh. I am the collections curator for Hayden's Wall in the Northeast, working for English Heritage. And so where do these things usually turn up? We've found them in fort sites. A couple have been found in bathhouses, a theatre, that well in France. So a few have been found in temples, a couple in riverbeds. A lot of them are antiquarian finds, which don't come out with the good context that we need to give them secure dates. An antiquarian find starts when Uncle Cornelius finds a Roman dodecahedron while planting begonias in his backyard. He gives it to Aunt Tracy, who puts it in a box, and the box ends up in the attic for 40 years until a new owner finds it and sells it to an antique store, where it sits for another 40 years until the building's destroyed in World War II, bombed, scorched earth, pulverized. But the dodecahedron, like a cockroach, survives and is found by a one-eyed soldier tying his shoe, who loses it to a gambling gypsy, on and on and on and on, until it ends up on another shelf, in another box, in another attic. That's an antiquarian find, and it's what makes Roman dodecahedra kind of a pain to research. So what do people think these were used for? I think there's about over 50, really, theories. It might be a candle holder, because I think a couple of examples had wax that had been found. A coin-detecting device. Possibly a calendar. Some sort of measuring device. For measuring angles. The head of a scepter, possibly. Maybe something to do with astronomy. Clock. Range finder. Surveying instrument. Some people have said they were a weapon. Dice. Some people think they were used for knitting gloves. Which works to a certain degree. You can. You also can use your computer keyboard as a plate. But you won't do that. How hard is it to date the metal? You can't date metal from its alloy unless it's something that you know wasn't used until like the 20th century. You date it by context with other things. 
So we're ballparking these at second to fourth century. Is there a chance that they could be older? Uh, no, they're definitely Roman because they've only come in from Roman sites. And when you say Roman, do you mean made by the Romans or just in the Roman period? Well, just in the Roman period, but I mean, who's a Roman? If you're living in Gaul, you're technically in the Roman Empire. So even though we call these things Roman dodecahedra, none have been found anywhere near Rome. So they could be a product of the indigenous people living in the occupied territory. And it's common to put all these people into one big basket, labeled Celt. When they're dealing with the Britons and Gauls, I don't really like calling them Celts anymore, but I will do for this if you want me to. This is Dr. Miranda Oldhouse-Green. Emeritus Professor at Cardiff University in the Department of Archaeology. The problem with the term Celt is that it tends to iron out difference, difference in space and difference in time. A quick disclaimer, Celt isn't the best word, but it's easier than having to say the indigenous people of Northwestern Europe who all spoke the same language and had similar culture but were all unique in their own way. A lot of people call them Gallo-Roman because they eventually assimilate with the Romans. But we're going to use Celt. The problem with Celts is that they had no writing. And so when we're really trying to get into the Celtic psyche, we are reliant on classical writers with all their misunderstandings of other people's way they worked, what they thought and so on. And of course, the archaeology. And now the archaeology is good in some ways because it's not biased. But in other ways, it's very elusive because you can have a piece of pottery or something and it's got an image on it. There are so many different interpretations of that image. Is it a god? Is it a priest? Is it just a person? So archaeology is difficult. And of course, because it's difficult, it's fascinating. What's the backstory when it comes to the region of Gaul? It was in the 50s BC that Caesar, Julius Caesar, decided to up his career by conquering Gaul. The Gauls were a thorn in Rome's side because they were a very large, very wealthy country. It's a huge area. There were multiple tribes in what is now France, parts of Western Germany, Belgium, Switzerland, and the far north of Italy. It was a very difficult process. I mean, Caesar managed it, but it took him 10 years, and he had to do an awful lot of genocides to get them to shut up and keep quiet. Indigenous ways of doing things, particularly religion, did survive the Roman conquests. And when you mix Britanni and Gauls and Romans, you get a fantastically mixed and subtle tweaking of their religion and the Roman religion. And I suspect that these dodecahedra were something special growing out of a mixed heritage. Do you think Druids had anything to do with them? if you're leaning more towards a religious purpose versus a practical purpose. I would hesitate before saying anything to do with Druids. But they certainly could be to do with shamanic rituals, esoteric rituals that involved probably priests. And of course, they could be the descendants of Druids. Let's back up a second. What's a Druid? A Druid is a holy man, although there were also druidesses, who would be highly educated, they were very, very good teachers. It took 20 years to train a druid. We know from Caesar that they were involved in natural science, they could read the stars, so they would tell the future, they were very important in telling the future. And they were really the historians of tribes. They had the ear of the gods. 
I don't know whether there's anything at all druidic about these dodecahedra, but they don't seem to have a purpose other than a ritual purpose. Okay, so quick recap. Roman dodecahedra are small metal artifacts about the size of a tennis ball. They look like a dodecahedron with a few extra bells and whistles, like the knobs and the holes. About 120 have been found, and they appear in the 2nd century, within the Roman Empire. We still don't know exactly who made them, maybe Roman, maybe Gallo-Romans, maybe Celts, maybe their great-grandchildren. When it comes to all those theories we listed, none of them quite do it for me. And so I look at the object, and I wonder, what could this have been used for? Hey, can you check your email? Hang on. I sent you a picture. I made a Roman dodecahedron, and I put a candle in it in a dark room, and I took a long exposure. I haven't got... Uh, oh, yes, I have. Hang on. Attached. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Oh, it's like the thing we use to try and make my daughter sleep. Right. Yeah, it would be like the planetarium. And you could almost imagine that you're dealing with the night sky. Okay, so the one I made is a pretty shameful representation of a real Roman dodecahedron. I went to the hardware store and I bought some sheet metal. And I cut out the 12 pentagons and drilled holes and cemented them all together. Looks like a kindergartner made it, but works just fine. You put a candle below it. The wick goes up through the bottom hole, and if the room's dark enough, it's got to be dark. You light her up, and it projects these beautiful beams of light outwards onto the ceiling and walls, and you end up with this amazing array of circles, all from a single flame. And the circles, it's cool, they flicker. It's awesome. And so, who knows? Could be a sacred nightlight. You have a bad day, you come home and light up the old dodecahedron. I feel better already. But we have a problem when it comes to evidence. I don't think there's enough to prove this theory, aside from two being found with wax and the fact you could do the candle thing with a real Roman dodecahedron. They're all the perfect size. The knobs prop them up perfectly. They're metal, so they don't burn. So, anyone out there with keys to a museum, you should try it. No one will know. I won't tell anybody. Because in my opinion, I think this artifact was a candle-powered, holy light projector. What do you think, Miranda? Give it to me straight. I think it's quite clearly impossible to verify, but... I think in terms of any other interpretation, I think it stands up. I think it's got legs. Light projection sounds very tempting. It may have been used that way. Yeah, but you could also put hallucinogens in there and other drugs, which give you an out-of-body experience. We shouldn't underestimate the importance of other senses. Incense was very important because we've actually found incense burners in Gallic temples. So you could have a kind of triple thing of the smells, the hallucinogens, and the light. The dodecahedron from Corbridge, I get it out quite regularly on store tours. And everyone says, what is it? And I say, we don't know. And some people love that. And other people are like, no, you're meant to have the answer. But we just won't know. 
some things at all and you just have to be ready to let that go. We'll probably never know what the Roman dodecahedron was used for, but turns out I'm not the only one obsessed with dodecahedron-shaped light projectors, which brings us to a man named Armin Spitz and his friend Albert Einstein, next time on Mr. Dodecahedron. Special thanks to my archaeologist friends, Rudiger Schwartz, Judy Stevenson, Francis McIntosh, and the legendary Miranda Althouse Green for links to their museums, stuff they've published, and some glamour shots of my projectahedron, head on over to mrdodecahedron.com. <laughs>